baby where we started now we on to something new let me introduce you to some of the fresh crew hollywood jack get a leader of the pack cory on your man randy coming in stack robin with the y chilling in the nest holding down the crew can't forget the rest Queen of Queens carrying, yet she taking no mess. Bring your A game, cause there ain't none less. Paco last minute standing, yeah, you know how it goes. Rounding out the best, JV to the pros. All right, Corey, we are taking a week off. Season three, episode 23 is going to be a best of. We're going to count on Paco to clip together some of the best moments of JV to the pros over the last three seasons. What do you think of that idea? Well, you lost me when you said we're going to count on Paco. Now we're going to really, count on Paco really because worried. he's the technical genius, and it'll be the best of the best of JV to the pros and all the listeners. Just enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. It is the best of three seasons of JV to the pros. I'm Jack Vecchio with my partner Corey Ramsey. Enjoy listening. Enjoy, folks. I've got a surprise for you guys. Hang on a sec. Let me see. We like surprises. What is it? Is it food? What is it? Oh, he's reaching for his phone. Hang on. No, just bear with me. I know when I know what's supposed to happen. Okay, what is he doing? Should I go on speak? Should I go on speaker? Is he going for his Rolodex? What is he doing? He's calling somebody? Hang on. Tony, yeah, it's Jack. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? Hey, good. You know, we we were having a uh we were having a conversation um about um some movies and Scorsese came up and I said that I had um I had you know, watch this thing on CBS Sunday morning about Scorsese and Pacino. And I thought, wait a second, we're sitting there having this conversation and a friend of mine is in The Irishman. And I thought, okay, explain first of all what you were doing on The Irishman and um, and it also explain who you could have possibly been working with that you didn't get the chance to. <laughs> Our producer Robin is here and my partner oh, yes, Corey okay. is here. And Tony, okay. I'm your new friend on Facebook. Thank you for accepting yes, my request. He goes, yes, That's I right. know. I just, I, just, I just saw it and accepted it a few minutes ago. He just saw it and accepted it. Yeah, yeah. right on. So, so what I want getting on the set, working with Scorsese, right. I know that I talked to you one day when you were on the set and you were very candid about the fact that you felt like this kind of an acting experience, you should be paying oh. them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, it was like, uh, I actually had, I had two days on it and i you know i i lost a lot of what was in the, on the first day i didn't make that cut but the second day i'm in the i'm i'm walking uh, pacino down and out of the car at the corridor of uh, the prison it's a prison scene and uh but just watching these guys work just watching scorsese work and and, and that that caliber of talent i mean I, I said you you can learn more if you're really paying attention in those two days, then you could probably learn in most four-year film schools if you're really paying attention. That's what I said. And that's the truth because it's just amazing. I mean, Rodrigo Prieto, who was the DP on that film, you know, he's going to be nominated for an Academy Award. He won the Academy Award for Brokeback Mountain. I mean, uh, everybody on that cast and that crew was just top-notch. So, I mean, Scorsese was all, all top-notch people. It was a great, the greatest experience for me that I've ever, you know, uh, had in, in my acting career. So this so, this uh, is the crown jewel of of uh, your acting of, career. Yeah, right right now I would say so. Yeah, I mean I mean I, you know, unless I actually win something myself, like an Academy Award or something, that would this would be the crown jewel right now. Yeah, now you know I mean, you're not exactly rubbing it in because uh, when you called me and said that this was an opportunity, and I said yes, exactly. Well, I mean I know someone had to be out in California doing another project. <laughs> I won't mention names, uh, <laughs> but um, you know, but that's the way it works. What are you going to do? I mean, actually, we we had. 
we held, we held up production for a few days waiting for you to get out there. <laughs> it never happened. So basically, that's why actually the budget was $100 million waiting for you. It went up about $40 million, so, you, know. you gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. The thing is, I gave my word to be in California on another project, and I tell you what. Yeah. I got on that plane and it broke my heart. It broke my heart. No yeah, one. Well, and then when I when I saw the pictures, I was like, "Oh my God, you're having so much fun." Yeah, it was it was a, it was a great experience for me. And like, and and I play a, a federal prison guard, Louis Louisburg prison guard, and uh, Pacino plays Jimmy Hoffa, obviously. And this is on the day he's being released from prison. You know, I get to myself and another a guard get to escort him out, and uh, we shot this scene on a very cold December day in a uh, a wing in the queen's new york detention center it's a real it was an active prison but this particular wing they closed off just for tv and film and it wasn't really well heated and you know pacino comes in it's like the second shot of the day right before that i think they were working with ray romano and and the scene ray romano and de niro in another part of the prison but anyway he comes in and he's, he's 78 years old at the time he's a little bit like he's still cold and frozen from coming outside and uh yeah, and we had to do the scene about probably, I'd say we did about 15, 16 takes, only because, and you say, well, it's, a, it's, an, it's an easy scene walking down the corridor, but only because uh, we had to pace it several different times. You wanted to pace several different times. And then, of course, they had on the set, they had what they called this, um, I guess, age and movement uh, consultant, so to speak. You know, because uh, these guys, I mean, Pacino's playing Hoffa at 46, 47, but he's actually 78 years old. So the way he was holding himself at times, his posture and the way he was walking, you know, they had to cut it through it again. The guy came over and said, uh, Al, um, he's supposed to be 46, 47 in this scene. So watch your posture, watch your, you know. And uh, so every time in between the takes, you know, he started jumping up and down and doing jumping jacks. And he looked at me and he looked at the other guy and said, I gotta be 46, I gotta be 47. You gotta be 46, I gotta be 47. <laughs> you know, I gotta be 46, I gotta be 47. And then we started walking a little fast a little slower so you know but that was uh you know that was it was a great it was a great opportunity for me i mean just standing there and you know when we're in between takes you know standing next to pacino listening to the direction we're getting from scorsese i you know i said please no one pinch me and wake me up i don't want my alarm clock to go off <laughs> like something, something i wait for in my whole life basically now basically i got this opportunity i wish it was more but i'm very happy for the opportunity I got. well and the other thing is uh, um i hadn't told anybody that i hadn't told the, the crew here either you're actually in the movie trailer yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, don't blink. That was a very quick... Yeah, the final trailer, I am in the final trailer. Real, real, real quick. But, um, <laughs> I mean, it, made, real, me, real, it real. made me sit there and think, boy, should I have gotten on that plane or should I have... Real, real, I should real, have real, had real them quick. do a rush call and get somebody else. Yeah, well, yeah, no, I mean... And, you know, the funny thing is that I never, I was never even submitted for it and I never uh, thought I was going to get even a call for it. And then, basically, I, one day, I they're in the middle of production, I get a text message from casting director asking me, are you available to work on The Irishman? I said, uh, let me let me let me check my calendar. Okay, I took my calendar. When do I start? You know, I mean, are you kidding me? And so, I mean, I was, yeah. When do I go? I had to go for fitting it, you know, for the for the. Now uh, this is a this is a really thing. rare thing that they release it in the theaters, and it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix starting tonight, midnight tonight. It's on yeah, Netflix. I actually, um, I, I went to go, yes. I went to check it out, and yes. literally, well, we're three hours behind out here. Right, but right, right. Um, but yeah, I, I cannot wait. Three hours and forty million dollars behind, according to Scorsese. He's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, well, I'll tell you him. what, I I I'm, I was so impressed with the with the interview, and I didn't realize they have like four different trailers 
Um, oh yeah, yeah. On the on the Netflix thing, I I don't think I've ever seen that where they had four different trailers, four different perspectives on the movie. And yeah. um, the other thing now now tell me if this if 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 this kind of uh, reminded you of anything. Have you ever seen the uh, Stallone movie Fist? Yes. Yes. Okay. You remember when uh, Johnny Kovac gives that um, speech where he's talking about how everything on wheels will belong to us. Right. We're going to own everything on wheels. When he gives, when, when Pacino gives that speech that if you yeah. went to the gas station today, mm-hmm. that gas got there because a truck brought it there. Right. And if exactly. you have furniture in your house, you bought that furniture because a truck, truck. brought the, yeah. That's right. what a great speech. That was a great, that was a great wow. scene. I mean, that, I mean that, yeah, the way scene. he delivered yeah. that speech, I thought, Oh my yeah. God, that was great. And yeah, you know, he, Hoffa, he, Hoffa is actually one of my, I, he's one of my heroes, and and I mean, I think without Hoffa, we would have been in, in a we would have been a country of slaves because oh, I think big yeah. business would have crushed the working man. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think Hoffa Hoffa stood up, and I mean, he he, you know, he's a small man with a big heart and a lot of attitude, and he wasn't yeah, backing well, that was, down. Yeah, and and apparently that got him in trouble according to this film. So I also saw the interview with the guy who claimed to have killed him, and the right. guy gave that interview. Um, I think it was a month before he died and, right. and he told it and people that specialize in being able to te- detect the uh, um, deception said this right. guy was uh, on the money. And when yeah. he talks about two bullets in the head in that house in Detroit and mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, the idea that they would have buried him in giant stadium and, and left oh, a that, tomb yeah, that's, that's, ridiculous. Yeah, that's, uh, the, I would have thought they would have either shredded him. In, in some sort of meat shredder or a wood chipper. Yeah. But when he right. said no, we took him to the funeral home and he was right. incinerated. There was That's no it. doubt he wouldn't be found. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. I yeah. thought yeah. I mean, you're on was, the set a, of this great That was a mafia wives tale. Mafia wives tale with the giant stadium. Right, the giant stadium. Because yeah. um, when the new manager took over um, Giant Stadium before they built uh, MetLife, the mm-hmm. first thing she did was put on the uh, tote board outside. He's not buried yeah. under here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Which, as a Jets fan, I was like, that's hilarious. Yeah, really. Exactly. I mean, what a great sense of humor. But when they, took, yeah. when they tore down Giant Stadium, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're aware of this, but they no. tore down Giant Stadium very slowly just in case really? he was in there somewhere. Ah, really? Yeah, because they thought, okay, if there's any truth to that rumor, they would love to find the bones. So they broke up the chunks of cement in pieces smaller than Hoffa's body. Wow. And I thought, very interesting. They mulched it to make sure there were bones Someone thought maybe there was a possibility, I guess. They they wanted to erase the idea that that was a possibility, you know? So, 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 okay. So now let's talk about, let's talk about your other project, uh, street smarts. Now, now the audience doesn't know about that. So bring them up to speed. Everyone knows about the Irishman. Everyone knows we're going to see in the Irishman. Everyone knows we're friends. Um, but everyone knows that I blew the opportunity to work with you on that. You and I could have been, (laughs) you and I could have been flanking Pacino in that scene. It could have been you. You could have been the other guard. It would would have been mostly you looking at that scene. You were perfect in that scene. Oh my God, you were perfect. You reminded me, you reminded me of Shawshank Redemption. Oh yeah, that's what it, actually that's what it reminds me of. It. Uh, yeah, with that in the Green Mile or whatever the case. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, remember the but Shawshank you, Redemption with the. Uh, yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought well, yeah. you look just like that guy, and I was yeah. like, wow, yeah. that's amazing. I don't know if Scorsese did that on purpose or what, but let's well, talk. About- I mean, I, 
But it was a haircut. They gave me the nice haircut. They did the, they did the, they, they were the makeup and wardrobe people were great on that for everybody. So I tell you, that it was a, it was a great, that was a great production. Yeah, they but, spared um, they spared no expense. They spared yeah, no yeah. expense. No, no, not, not not at all. So I I, I cannot wait yeah. to watch it. I'm going to watch it tomorrow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So talk to me about Street Smarts. Yeah. So Street Smart, well, Street Smart is my own creation. I created it. I'm writing it and I'm co-starring in it. And it's uh, it's about the uh, the opioid addiction epidemic that's uh, you know plaguing the country right now. Basically. Basically, it's a very important topic, and and um, I'm writing it as a series. We finished a proof of concept, what we call proof of concept pilot episode for it, and um, I have several of the episodes already written um, and ready to go. And you know, it's going to be uh, we're going to focus on various aspects of this epidemic, not just just typical stereotypical. You know, it's about a junkie in rural America, and uh, you know they're all they're, they're poor, and this is why they get involved in this. We're gonna we're gonna go across all socioeconomic levels. We're gonna investigate how it affects middle class, upper middle class, single moms, <laughs> teenagers. I mean, uh, I, I you know how, I'm so how, glad how I'm so glad you're taking the, that 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 perspective on it because people think well, yeah, people think it's a, it's either it. a, a low income socioeconomic situation. No, it does not discriminate. People on no, opioids are are not. rich in the best neighborhoods in the world, and people on well, opioids absolutely. that are hooked on opioids are in the worst areas in the world. That's it does, true. It does I mean, not I, I, know your, your financial situation. Absolutely, and that's that's what I want to focus on, and we're going to also focus on some of the doctors that unintentionally got their patients hooked and some of the doctors that are actually, uh, you know, helping uh, create this problem by, by doing things that, well, there, there were raids, you know, in certain uh, parts of the country where um, these doctors were actually selling pills and, and not writing prescriptions for them. We want to touch on how the big pharmaceutical companies are involved in this a little bit, how they're responsible, you know, so we're going to go across the board with this. And, uh, and then of course we embedded the commercial element. There's also drug cartels and there's an organized crime family element to it. So um, you know, wherever there, right, wherever right there's now, money to be made, like in a situation like that, wherever there's money to be made, sure, people are going to figure out a way to wire it through. And, oh, and absolutely, yeah, I mean that's just that's just the nature of the beast. I mean, there there, there have been stories where I mean, um, believe it or not, there there was a dentist somewhere I think in West Virginia or Ohio somewhere that was actually pulling good teeth on people that really needed this this medication and couldn't, he couldn't write it. He had a justified writing. So they, they, they agreed to have him pull a, a good tooth so he could write out a you know, pain medication. I mean, it's kind of that bad with some people. No, no, no. You want to know? You want to know something funny? Um, when I was when I was in New York uh, a couple of years ago, um, mm-hmm. a dental a dental organization. I'm not going to say which one. Um, did that to me, and really? did a temporary cap on my tooth and wanted to keep right. me on opioids to oh, yeah. monitor the pain and they did right. that actually until the tooth fell out and now they're being brought up before the dental board on sure. uh, professional malpractice uh, charges mm-hmm. and I don't want mm-hmm. I don't want to get into who it is but but you know what yeah. they're taking it seriously and it's everywhere so no, it is. Um, but it is. Um, yeah. but I'll tell you what um, Tony I want to I want to thank you you know as a friend I want to thank you I'm gonna have you come back on the show. Because okay. um, the show is about 30, 40 minutes. So, I mean, you and I could end up talking for hours. I know that. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, next time we have you on, you and I will talk, we'll talk about uh, when we went to Little Italy last time. And, yeah. and we'll, yeah, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that now. Certainly not with the okay. holidays upon us. But, um, yeah. <laughs> but we'll talk about how much fun we had. And, um, and I've got something coming up that I, that I want to talk to you about. So we'll, we'll okay. discuss it later. But I want to thank you very, well, yeah, very much for being I, on yeah, the show. I'm hoping you and I can work on this too. If we get, we get streets off the ground and, uh, 
you know, you make sure you come out to New York this time. I, I, you know what? You slot my time. I'm there. I, you know, I'm reliable. If I say I'll be somewhere, I'll be there. You got it. Good. All right, Tony. Thank you so very <laughs> well, thank much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, everybody. Bye, right. Tony. Bye, Tony. Thanks you. a lot. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. We'll talk Take to you care, soon. Jack. You know, something that's just extremely disturbing to me is this Minnesota incident. Oh, and you and I are on the same page. Good. Yeah, I mean, we're on the same page. With what just with what just happened. So, Robin, can you tell us and tell the audience in about two sentences? Just bring them up to speed. And then I'll add the commentary. Absolutely. So in Minnesota, we had a black gentleman that was uh, uh, detained by the police. He was apparently resisting arrest when they first got to the site. So they cuffed him and they had him on the ground. And this one police officer felt the need to keep him down by putting his knee in his neck. There were bystanders watching and pleading with the police officer to let the man up. The guy kept saying, I can't breathe. And it was, I watched this five and a half minute tape of this incident, this video of this incident. And by the end, you realize I just watched a human being, a, a man die in front of my eyes. Like a, like a, yeah. And he just, and so he died the police initially said, oh, you know, they saw he was in some distress, so they called the fire and rescue. And I mean, just, it was a horrible, horrible, horrible film. And it's it's absolutely disturbing what happened. And since then, all four police officers have been fired, which I'm delighted about. But that's that's it in a nutshell. And, and, and the mayor, and the mayor has come forward even before the FBI investigation and has yes. apologized to the black community and has yes. apologized to the community and said, when somebody pleads out and they plead to you that they are in trouble and they need help, that is exactly what you're there for. You're not right. there to compound that. And these guys, and this is reminiscent of the issue from about six years ago with the man on the streets in New York illegal, selling illegal cigarettes, um, Mr. Garner. And they choked yeah. him out, which started the I can't breathe. And many of the NBA players were wearing those shir shirts in pregame that say I can't breathe. But, you know, they were kind of broad stroking all police officers because of the way a few acted in Brooklyn that day. But now Minnesota's got a real issue because these guys absolutely cut off his airway, his airway, and, and they, they absolutely killed him. There's yes. no doubt about it. Here's the other thing I'd like to point out. And their report was a report that probably would have been fine 15 or 20 years ago without everyone holding their cell phone up and recording everything. That said, their report made it sound like he was resisting arrest to the point where they had to use additional force, which is untrue. Their mm -hmm. report was saying that he really wasn't complaining when other people's cell phones saw him complaining about not being able to breathe right up until he died. You can hear him. You, yeah. you can hear him. You could hear him complaining, and that he kept saying, "Officer, please take your knee off. I can't breathe." And the people in the crowd were saying, "Dude, get off of him. He can't breathe. Put him in the car." I mean, he was cuffed, so he's not a danger yeah. to them anymore. And he was face down, and the other officers were on his legs and on his body. There was no need for this guy to be kneeling on his neck. 
One of the girls in the crowd was like, his nose is bleeding, get off of him. So and, here, here's my point. And, and wait, let me point let me point something else out. They are they are cuffing him. They are restraining him. This guy is kneeling on his neck. The the suspect, if you will, the victim is slowly running out of air. Mm-hmm. And right. another officer is literally standing as a bodyguard against yep. the crowd in case anyone decided to storm in. So now there's a line of defense in front of, if you wanted to run in and help, you had to get past one cop and then yes. get past the other three. Yeah, they needed to be fired. Yes. For sure. Well, wait a second. Wait a minute. Jack, Jack, Jack guys, guys. That is standard operating procedure for law enforcement. They always do that. They always have a, a secondary officer in order to control the crowd. I mean, the, but don't, but... But, but the guy controlling the crowd is also aware that this is not procedure. You got the guy down. You got him under control. You got him restrained. I'm not arguing that. What I'm saying is there's no need for anybody to be on his neck. Right. You know? So So here's the thing. Here's my take on all this. As a, you know, as a human being, I'm unhappy. As a black man, I am appalled. Yes. In terms of what happened. And I think that the apologies that the mayor, whoever else is saying, ring hollow unless these people, these four individuals are convicted of murder. Everything else will ring hollow. I think apologies, giving money, giving hush money to the uh, family, I think that means nothing. Well, the one thing that I will say that that was very swift was that they were fired. Initially last night they were put on paid administrative leave and then today they were fired. And I am thrilled beyond belief that they were fired and that that, that it was just so quick. Done and not done and over with, but that as- aspect of it because they just they will not tolerate it. Because and I was video, happy about because that. Because of the video though. Well I'm whatever the reasoning the is, they are done. They're done. I'm They're done. not on the force yeah, anymore. Had it not been for the video by taken by bystanders, they were going to put in a report that made it look like this guy. Uh, Jack, you start because oh, so we had some weird feedback there about ten seconds ago for some reason. It was when you started right, in go. the so to start from the top, okay? In okay, go. Okay, so fact is, if their report had rung true and been accepted and been credible, without the video feedback from the, the people that were bystanders. Yeah, they could have simply gotten away with murder. And and yeah, the mayor, first of all, apologizing to the black community and then apologizing to the community at large. Like it's not just an apology to black citizens, it's an apology to citizens. But the black community did seem to be targeted. And I have to say, Cora, you've been a friend of mine for years and it, it puts fear in my heart that that something like this could happen to you just because of the color of your skin, which is to me the equivalent of taking taking this kind of abuse out on people with red hair or blonde hair or black hair right. and isolating that, that group of people. People are people. Color of skin is like hair color. It's it just happens to be, you know, the way you're put together. That's it. It's not it's not any kind of a detriment and you shouldn't be penalized or punished over it. Now I have and I have that and I certainly appreciate that. But where I'm at with this, 
I think all apologies ring hollow at this point. I mean, I think that there have been enough examples over the years where I think now law enforcement truly needs to be looked at. There needs to be reformation when it comes to law enforcement because you've just seen this just happens too much. Yes. And it's just, and I don't believe in coincidences, and it keeps happening to blacks. Right, so right. at some point, at some point, you have to say enough is enough. Mm-hmm. And there is something there. So for all the people that want to say, well, you know what? He was a forger and he should have been doing this and he should have been resisting arrest. Okay. <laughs> the thing is he was controlled. He was down on the ground right. and he was controlled. And I've, and I've done enough work with detainees where once you've got them locked up, they're locked up, they're down. You've got them down. He's and, not I saw, get out of this- and I saw the video and he was down. And the he thing was down, was, he was under control. And he wasn't out of control. He was under control. This yes. is this is something that was subdued. And yes, first of all, I do think being a police officer is a frustrating job. And I do think they probably have a difficult time controlling themselves. And I do think they take their frustrations out in directions they shouldn't take it out. And I do think that police officers tend to have a high um, percentage of domestic violence and abuse within their family because they take it home with them and it's bottled up. I do think all of that, first of all. Secondly, the patrolman's union, as soon as this happened, said, let's not rush to judgment. Let's wait until after the report. Let's hold off. And the mayor said, no, you're fired. Good for him. And that's what I'm saying. If it wasn't video, if it wasn't video, this would have happened. And you don't know how many times that this could have happened in the past with well, these particular video. law enforcement officers. And see, and here's my here's my message to law enforcement, because, you know, they have a lot of complaints about uh, how, how they're treated. But see, here's the thing. Step in and do something. And I understand the good old boy, I understand the network, the good old boy network. But step in and do something. And that person that was controlling the crowd, Turn your ass around yes. and stop your partner from doing that. And do what's you know, right. You know what the hell is going on, so you need to do something. So, I mean, this year, it should not stop with them being fired. Them being fired, I think, means nothing. I'm sorry. They should be prosecuted. They absolutely should be prosecuted for what they did, and they're all culpable. They're all culpable. Hey, guys. Yeah. And, Question. And when, I tell, when I tell you, Corey, that, that this, this is something that lingers with me when you and I are apart. And when you and I go out together, I sit there and I think this could happen and you would be the bigger target simply because of the color of your skin. And I hate that. I vehemently hate that. Question, guys. Um, So um, let's put our lawyer hats on for just a quick second. So by firing our lawyer hats. Lawyer hat, okay. All right. Okay, none of us are lawyers, but go ahead. All right, just yeah. speculating here. But by f- by firing these police officers, is it, uh, an, uh, is it an action by the city to distance themselves or to clear themselves of any legal wrongdoing? And there's, a threat no of- dis- there's no distancing themselves. The mayor has already acknowledged the fact that there's only one way to figure this out, and that's monetarily at this point, because there's no way to correct it other than to correct it going forward. There's no way to turn back time. There's no way you you keep them from ever having the opportunity to do this again. You make sure that officers on the job know that this is unacceptable behavior. 
and you're going to have to Rodney King a big check, if you know what I mean. Rodney King got $4 million for his beating, and and that was more because of the outrage of the city. But the city, but let me stop, let me stop both of you right there. The money, this is what, when I say that there needs to be reformation, it needs to be reformation because money, money is very easy. The city is very happy to pay people off and to pay hush money. And especially when you're dealing with poorer folks. And so they're very happy to lop up that money. No, at this point, at this point, there needs to be a trial. Oh, These yeah. men need to be put Absolutely. on trial. Absolutely. I agree with that completely. Absolutely. They need to be held accountable, and they need to be held accountable in a court of law. Absolutely must be. And I feel they need to be held accountable personally and professionally. Because, I mean, professionally, already they've been fired. But personally, yes, absolutely put them on trial. Because, because a couple things, like the mayor said, and whether you think it's just, you know, blowing smoke or what, the mayor said, this is a human thing. That as a human, this man is asking for, I can't breathe, please get off of my neck. He was polite and everything, whatever. I mean, it just, it's a human thing. What? I was saying just what you just said. Oh, it's a human thing. Like, just, yeah. The reason why he no, said that no, is very, I mean, it's obvious. It's because he's not trying to uh, politicize or make it a question of race. He's doing damage control. That's why it keeps. It, uh, that's why the emphasis on human. I mean, yes, there no, is a. You're wrong, Paco. No, I. I how so? He absolutely recognizes that this is a racial. No, of course. Issue. But why does he keep saying that? Then why doesn't he come out and say like, "Oh, this was a black man that was violently assaulted no, by law enforcement." He did say that, Paco. But what he was talking about is that it's not a thing of 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 a police officer and a black man. It is a thing of two human beings and so the police officer can say oh well he was resisting arrest and he was doing this and he was doing that when in reality he's a human being asking for help and that police man is supposed to be rendering help and, and the rule is you, you know on average a person can go three minutes without air three days without water three weeks without food they had him down cutting off his air supply for four and a half minutes over that. It was five and a half minutes, the, the video I saw. Five and a half. So, wow. yes. guys, the raw video is about ten minutes long, and it's pretty gruesome. Yeah, is it that's really? Horrible. I don't, you know what? I don't need that in my head. I, I've seen enough. In the, I, I watched three minutes of it, and it was the last three minutes until he clearly went unconscious. And I don't know how their report planned to explain this, but clearly the plan was to make it look like this was his fault for resisting when the video evidence of everyone standing around contradicted that completely. Yeah, it's a terrible thing. Hey, but yeah. Here's the other this problem. Is, this, is not a problem. This, is offensive. Yeah. this is offensive to every human being. Got it. But here's the, other, here's the other problem here, is that in two weeks, this story will go away. There needs to be law enforcement reformation throughout the country because this will happen again. This absolutely will happen again, and we will be talking about it. Other people will be discussing it, and other people will be appalled. So in other words, they need to completely take a look at law enforcement and start doing mental health screening on law enforcement. Start doing anger management. 
Start doing better assessments. It's not and stop just pushing people through and giving them badges and guns. True. Now here's 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 something that before we close this section out, here's something to think about. If you got someone in America being arrested every three seconds, and that's a fact, you got someone being arrested in America every three seconds, you gotta imagine how many times this is happening where there aren't bystanders with cell phones videotaping right. for backup evidence. And that's yeah, frightening to think we yeah. have to be afraid of our, of the police officers that are supposed to be there to protect us. Well, yeah. I don't think, well, let's break it down and let's, be, and let's keep it real. I don't think that many Caucasians walk around in fear, light-skinned people walk around in fear of the police. I think that needs to be said. People really need to say that. I'm glad you said it. I'm glad you said it because I told you that story about the time that I was in the sports bar with my buddy, happens to be a black guy, and I was being mouthy, and the police looked like they were going to be called, and my friend told me to shut up. He said, because when they get here, even though you had the big mouth, they're putting me in the car because I'm black. And that really sure. saddened me. That saddened well, me because I was, I was the one being mouthy and being a smartass with other fans of other teams. And this guy would have been picked up simply because he's black and thrown in the car. So Jack, I appreciate you being sad, but it's a lot better it's a lot better to be sad than actually be fearful. Yes. And so the thing is in the hardcore reality is, and certainly when it comes to blacks, when it comes to poor blacks and blacks who don't speak very well, there are the they are especially at risk. Because I'm gonna tell you briefly, I'll tell all of you an experience I had right before the pandemic, and it was one of the, it was late at night because I like to work out late at night. And so I got caught um, speeding, driving home, right? And I had forgotten my license and didn't have my new insurance uh, or registration in there, right? But because of the car that I drove and how I spoke and how nice I was to the officer, he just let me go. He just absolutely let me go. But see, but part of that is well-spoken. And also because I was trained by my parents how I'm supposed to act with law enforcement, staring straight ahead, keeping your hands on the wheel. Yes, sir. No, sir. Keeping very quiet, answering the questions, you know, telling them what you're going to do. Okay, I'm going to reach for this, sir. I'm going to reach for that. Like, I mean, being as sweet as pie. People that are fearful, they don't speak as well. They don't do that. They get scared. They see someone in blue. They see the badge. They get terrified. The words don't come. And the next thing you know, there's violence. And then it leads to death. And that's now why let so me, many... Let me tell you something, Corey. Even with all those precautions on that traffic stop, here's the, here's the, the real fearful thing. It still could have blown up in your face. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Hidden, thankfully. That's the horror. Oh my God, no kidding. I mean, anyway, but but yeah, it could have gone wrong. Right. And I wanted to bring up another, um, this is not on the agenda, but another incident that happened yesterday. This one was in Central Park in New York City. So there was a black man. There was a black man named Christian Cooper 
who was yeah. in the ramble or the bramble part of the park. Right. And apparently it is a very lushly uh, vegetation and birds and everything. And he is a right. birder. So he was there watching birds. And a, bird a, woman, a white woman was there with her little cocker spaniel dog. And the dog was not a leash. And there are signs everywhere that say your dog must be leashed. And so he very politely asked the woman to please put the dog on the leash. And she said, no. And he explained, there are signs, please put the dog on the leash. And she, she would not. So he started recording her and she got all huffy and don't record me, turn that off. And she grabbed the dog by the collar and was dragging the dog and telling him she's going to call the police. She's going to call 911 and tell them that she's being attacked by a black man. Wow. And he was like, he recorded the entire thing. And he said, go ahead, please do. She's on the phone with 911 and she's going, I am here in, in Central Park and I'm being, um, there's a black man and he's threatening me and my dog and she's building herself right. up right. and everything. It was all a complete act on her part. So and so, well, so the police came, both of them were let out, you know, because nothing occurred between any of them. And the woman was fired. She worked for oh an investment company. Yep, an investment company. And she lost her. She lost her job, and her dog was returned to the rescue organization. Wow! They did not want her to have that dog. What a real POS. She, she returned it. She returned it uh, voluntarily. But the way that she was holding, she was dragging on, the dog. Hang on, hang on. She had just, the, hang on, Robin. Let me interrupt you. She had just adopted that dog. And no, they contacted her, and she wanted the dog back. I just saw the report on the news. Anyways, she was, uh, so she, yeah, she doesn't have the dog anymore, and the guy is, um, he's fine. Fortunately, the police did not apprehend him. The police did not put cuffs on him or anything like that. They got there, and they, they figured everything out, and everybody went their own ways. But she is jobless now. Franklin, Franklin something is where she works and they just yes, put out a yeah. yeah they put out a yeah. statement saying um we do not condone racism of any sort and That's they right. fired her and right. i was so thrilled with that you know i'll tell you as the wife of a black man and as the mother of a biracial child i mean he's a young man i am fearful when i when I hear about these things and I am fearful when we're in certain situations and I'm fearful for my son who is going to college and you know, we live in San Diego. San Diego is a very positive upbeat community and it's very like, you know, nobody really, I mean, obviously racism exists, but it's not the problem that it is in other places in this country. And I think about my son going off to college and I don't look at him and go, oh, yeah, he's got a black and a white parent. I look at him and think he's a brilliant young man who is going to do great things in this world. And my biggest fear is that he's going to go off and people are going to look at him and say, oh, yeah, I know what he is. And he is going to suffer something terrible because of that. I don't so, okay, worry so, so much about my husband because he is he he knows how to defend himself. But. My son, you know, just it's very so, scary. So I want to weigh in on all this as being as being the black man here is that I don't I don't think that we should spin 
towards paranoia. So I don't think that, I mean, there's plenty of people that are prejudiced in this world, uh, certainly in this country and in this state. And that's fine. And it can be that way as long as they keep it to keep it to themselves, as long as they don't do anything. That's number one. Number two, in listening to the story about the Central Park, which I admit I didn't know I didn't know about, and I don't want us to spin off on the whole thing. I'm just giving my opinion. I don't know if she should have been fired or for making a false 911 call. Maybe she she does some jail time, but I don't know if you lose your job. Um, Corey, you didn't actually see this videotape, but this guy yeah. was recording her, and she said very clearly, I'm going to call the police, and I'm going to tell the police that I'm under attack by a black man at Central Park who is threatening, my, threatening myself and my dog, and that's what I'm going to tell them. I heard what Robert yeah, said. She, she felt like by being a white woman, her word would be more valuable against a black man than a black so man's word with the truth. I disagree with that. Well, the, the company the company was taking a stand saying, you know what, we do not condone racism on any level of any sort. Period. Right. So you get rid of it. Is that racism? What she did? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. What's that? Oh my God! What, what is it? What, okay. Corey, what do you think racism is? I'm gonna tell the police a black man is threatening a white woman. Get over here quickly. That is racism. She didn't yeah. say a man is threatening me. Right. A person is threatening a black man. Hurry. Five to be the same. Five, please, please. One of you, please describe racism to me. Please describe it. Okay. It? I, I, I felt like this was racist. racist okay. Because... You know, question. Please describe racism. Can someone please describe that? What okay. is racism? Not, I got it. Go, Go Paco. The systematic oppression of one race over another. Under another, I should say. The systematic oppression. Okay. Was she oppressing him, or was she doing that as a scare tactic to get the guy away? Whatever. No, she was in the wrong. First of all, she was in the wrong, completely in the wrong. She, she was breaking the law by letting her dog run around Central Park. This guy was being polite. She decided to play the race card as a white person. And she was going to use that as a way. But you're trying to spin to it like white privilege, you know, which I think has a lot of issues. Oh, Jack, is there an issue with what I just said? I didn't say anything. No, but you were. But that's what you're. I think that's what you're inferring to, because she's using her advantage as a white woman. So that's what the white privilege. That's the ghost in the conversation. I think. I think she. I think she thought that's her ace. That's her, that's her wild card. Oh, that's absolutely. her leverage. I'm going to tell the police I'm a white person. Come help me because a black person is bad and is here threatening me. And I'm going to lie to them to get you in trouble so you'll stop exactly. bothering me about my dog. And that, absolutely, she should have been fired because if she'll do that in Central Park, she'll do that at work. If she'll do that in Central Park, she'll do that at work. It would be interesting to see her her case file at work and to see her clients. And I, you know, just because like if she knows the black ones from the white ones, from the Asians, from the Hispanics, from the all the different ethnicities, what her case file is. If she's got the Lily Whites. So let me throw this out there then, 
Because, see, I think uh, this spins off into a really dangerous spot here. So let's say you have a man that's uh, a CEO or something, and he goes to a club and does a whole bunch of stuff, sleeps with a whole bunch of gals and things like that, doesn't treat them well. Should he be fired from his job? No, because he runs because the business. Them. No, of, of no, course. But oh you said God. they don't treat, he doesn't treat them well. But what do you I mean by that? Beat is something totally different. Come on. I'm talking about if he doesn't treat them well, doesn't call them, you know, things like that. Should he be fired from his job? No. Okay. But he's not, but he's not good to women. So should he be fired from his job because he's an a-hole in his personal life because how he dates? Should he be fired? See, I just think, here's my thing with this. I just think we have to be very careful because you really run the risk of, you know, becoming like the Soviets, becoming like North Korea, where it's like everything that you do is spotlighted and that's it. You're done. You're blacklisted for everything. We got to watch that kind of stuff. I see what you mean. Are you saying it's a slippery slope? It is a slippery slope. People screw up, and we need to be very careful with this because none of our ledgers are clean. Speaking for myself, and I'm sure with the rest of you, none of our ledgers are clean. So we got to be pretty damn careful before we start saying, you know what, this person should be fired. This person is racist because they do one particular thing. And I don't think, and I listen to that, and think of someone who is, who is black and has dealt with a great deal of racism. I don't know. I listen to that. I'm like, you know, mm, mm, I'm not sure. Find her, put her in jail for making a false, uh, ac- making a false accusation. But I don't know if she's going to lose her job over it. Well, I, told you, I think my concern is the fact that she went there immediately without any diplomacy to go in any other direction. She right. went there. She went there yeah. like she was pulling out the big gun right away. Okay, but that's her weapon. Fired for that. That's not, to me, that is not a fireable offense. No, it's not. Would you want somebody working for you that behaves like that? What's that? Would you want someone working for you in your company, let's say, who would immediately go to that card? You know what? I would sit down and talk to him. Here's, I'm going to give you an example. I had one of my, I had an employee in the past at a job, use the, use the word tranny. Mm. And I trained her. It's not a word that you can use. And I trained her and set her down and got into her head as far as why she used that, where she was coming from, what she knew and all that kind of stuff. I didn't just jump and say, okay, you know what? You hate those kinds of people, you're fired. We can't be I think that's wrong. I think we've got to be very careful doing that. And I know we just talked about what we talked about. Those officers, yes, put them in jail for life.
Part of the reason why we came up here, one, David's hospitality, but also, David's you know, cooking. David's yeah. cooking, his hospitality. hospitality. I didn't invite you to spend the night, you know, please. Yeah. But no. we just might. No. Oh, we, <laughs> hey, that's news to me. But we're here on Cielo Drive, and we're here, I mean, it's, it's history here. And this is something that's very passionate to David. And so I, I want to get David to spend a couple of minutes as to why Cielo Drive is so passionate. Why is he so passionate about Cielo Drive? Well, I guess you could say I'm passionate about the fact that um, I live in a haunted house and I represent the spirits, so far as I believe, uh, in general, the fact that there's just been a lot of uh, misinformation and a lot of mythology that's been developed about the paranormal and a lot of extra drama with a lot of extra hype and um, nonsense and mythology, as I said before, about spirits and, as we say, a lot of misrepresentations about that. That's what I really am passionate about. I almost feel like I walk in the footsteps of uh, of Harry Houdini, who also tried to tamper down the um, effects of the spiritualist movement, which was running rampant in the early nineteenth century, early nine, early twentieth century. Um, that's really what I would have to say. I'm passionate about. A lot of people believe that I am passionate about Sharon Tate and. That's a little bit of a misnomer. I I appreciate her presence and her being and her um, her persona uh, when she was alive, but I'm not a Sharon Tate fanatic or a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood fan either. I'm just a guy, like I said, who has a house that I built down the street from Sharon Tate's that um, was very much intrigued by the paranormal and interested and fascinated by it. And um, that's really what I'm passionate about is the... The, the truth behind the truth in the paranormal, not the mythology around it and surrounding it. Very good distinction. And yes. so, uh, you know, talking about mythology <laughs> and talking about, you know, misnomers and things, there's certainly a lot of things, you know, floating around about the unfortunate and the tragedy around the, the Tate LaBianca murders. And so what do you have to say about that? about some of those uh, things that are that are floating around and all these different books and specials that come out. What's your take on this? Um, honestly, I personally don't think that any of it is uh, holds a lot of truth and uh, value. I think that 51 years after the murders, the idea that these people whose recordings and interviews we have from back in the day, from when they were young and when it was current and it was fresh in their hearts and their minds, that anything that they've recounted, or re, how should we say, have <coughs> recounted as far as what they did and the actions of that, what they took back in 1969, I don't really care. I, I mean, it kind of irritates me to hear um, on one of the docu-series that was out there on uh, Epics, I think it was, a couple of weeks ago about the mythology behind Helter Skelter. I watched the first episode and I was able to listen to Tex Watson talk to us from jail on a telephone interview. Now, two of the players are dead, that it being Susan Atkins and Charles Manson are both dead. So the fact that Tex Watson's talking from jail about something that took place and transpired 50 years ago, 
I don't really want to hear him say two words. I don't care. I really don't give a about him. As far as I'm concerned, he's dead man standing. And by that I mean they were all prosecuted and basically sentenced to death back in 1971. And in 1972, the California legislature repealed the death penalty. I don't know how in the world and why in the world these people were given the opportunity to go from death row to then every four years come up for parole. If they were sentenced to death by a jury of their peers, why is it then if the repealing of the death penalty would allow them to seek and be afforded parole ever? So uh, personally to me, I don't care what he has to say. And the fact that there's a cottage industry built about and around the Sharon Tate murders and the mythology behind the murders and one of these books called Chaos talks about the fact that Steve came up with this crazy idea that Stephen Parent left the house after the murders. And this is because the fact that they found damage to one of the railings on the um, outside of the uh, house that was adjacent to the driveway and it also coincided with some damage that was found on Stephen Parent's rear bumper. And I said, so that means, he says that that's why Stephen Parent said, he, he recounted in his the book Chaos that Stephen Parent said, because I promise I won't say anything. And that's the reason why he said that. And I said, you know, that's kind of hokey pokey. Because the only person whose testimony we have outside of Stephen Parent, which we don't, we have the testimony of Leslie Van Houten or uh, Linda, Kasabian, Linda Kasabian, Linda Kasabian, who, sa who described the scene as such that they walked up the driveway and as they entered the gate, Stephen Parent's car was coming out before any other murders took place. The fact that Stephen Parent's car shows damage to the rear bumper and so forth on the, the actual post around the railing at the back of the patio, I mean, the back of the driveway, means nothing of the sort. It still could have happened that Stephen Parent put his car in reverse, backed the car up and pushed on the gas and by accident pushed a little too fast, and then it gained speed and it made contact with the post and the railing, the wooden railing in the post. Or and maybe then, he did it on a different day. No, no, he was only, that was the only time he was there. Oh, so then he put the car into drive and then came going forward, at which point he came into contact with the killers. And, of course, Tex Watson was walking up the driveway with this twenty-two caliber revolver in his hand. So as he's walking up, Stephen Parent could have seen the revolver in his hand as he's walking up and assumed that this guy was up to no good. And that's why he said, I'm not going to say anything. Please spare my life, blah, blah, blah. But the idea that somebody comes up with a theory that this took place in this sequence of order, sequential order that is not what we have been understood means nothing. It's just another theory, but the idea is, is there's so many theories running rampant about Sharon Tate's father, who was in military intelligence, that somehow he was involved in this whole conspiracy to pull off this, this heinous crime. Two plus two equals twelve. And have his daughter then now live in South America with his baby, with his, with her son. What? It's, 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 this is another one of the conspiracy oh, theories. Oh, yeah, sure. It's on the same island with Tupac and Biggie, too, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, it's just I've heard these things. And did you know that, that Wojciech Farkowski was dealing drugs and Jay Sebrings was dealing cocaine to Charles Manson was another theory that somebody said to me. And I said... So that means there's justification him getting killed right. because he was dealing drugs. They said Manuel Noriega sold thousands upon thousands of tons 
of cocaine yeah, but in, then brought one, into the U.S. But he's still alive and he's in jail, but he didn't get slaughtered for, for dealing cocaine. So where's the justification that somebody should die because they were dealing cocaine? I mean, these are the theories that some people come up with. And to me, I just shake my head and go, you know something, you can say your theories, what, what not. Is the drug deal gone bad? I personally don't put a lot of faith into it, and it disparages me about this. I hate to be the Jamie from Joe Rogan here, but... What the hell was that? Uh, That's probably Noriega, because he died actually no. in 2017. No, that was something else. Something just happened, and the dog reacted to it. Yeah, and I, I heard it too. Okay, that's a little spooky here, guys. Why, what, what just happened up there? Uh, it looks like we might have a Class 1 manifestation the here. Dog, the dogs are reacting. Really? Because of what we're talking about. I swear to God, I felt in my stomach and in my, you know, my anxiety. Uh, well, let's do a reading here. You got an EMF. I, something, I felt somebody tapping me in the, like right here. Uh, really? That's what I was doing. Uh, uh, what? Holy uh, sh! One second here, folks. We might have some paranormal activity. Hey okay, this is JB to the pros. Season 2, episode 38, and we have had something happen that has never happened before. I'm not sure if I'm I'm glad I didn't make the trip up to Beverly Hills, or am I regretting the fact that I missed what happened? But, Rory, Robin, Paco, David, please explain to our listeners why we had to go to break and what happened in that haunted house of yours. Well, here's, well, here's the thing. I really wanted to get David, who said he wasn't passionate about Cielo Drive, but yet he was very passionate, and I was loving it. And he was giving his uh, take on, you know, the tragedy. When we heard this sound of something dropping, and the two large dogs, they reacted, their tails were wagging. At the same time, Robin felt something. Oh, my some, gosh. Something, yes. And then I thought that... a. Uh, um, one of the dogs was pushing against my back, and it turns out it was nothing. I looked, and you can see me on camera. I looked, and I touched, and there wasn't anything. So then we all stopped. We got up. David has cameras everywhere in here. We saw that one of the figurines dropped. It wasn't because anybody pushed it, stomped on the ground. It just dropped, and that was weird to look at that on camera. And it was in a totally different room, so it wasn't yes. like, yeah, crazy. Uh, now explain explain what you saw on the surveillance when they replayed the surveillance, because I got to see it, and I was freaked out. I'm 200 miles away. <laughs> well, it's just, it's one of the figurines, and it was the one in the center that you're you're looking at the screen, and it's just there, and it's just standing, and then it just goes pop. Just like that, but loud. I mean, it looked like it was smacked. It looked like it was smacked off the mantle. Yeah. I, yes, if I didn't know better, I would say that there was a hand that just pushed it down. That's what it hard though. That's what it's hard. Like. Yes. yes, but that noise—it yeah, was freaky. And well, we'll see. The noise coincided with what Robin felt, and also what I felt on my back as David was talking. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to interrupt David because he was on a roll. But I'm like, what is this on my back? And I didn't mm-hmm. want to do anything and say anything. But, I mean, there you go. I'll I, I tell you what. I'm glad it didn't happen to Paco because he would be sure to blame me and just say, get off my back, Jack. Well, actually, Jack, <laughs> I'm kinda, I kind of regret not bringing my proton pack along. 
Yeah, where where were you, Mr. Ghostbuster? I'm off the clock, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Jack, <laughs> here's an invitation. You have to come up for the next show. Along with Dan I'm not going to miss the next show. Yes. I'm not going to miss the next time we do the show up there. I will not miss it. This is unbelievable. If I hadn't seen that footage, on the, when, Robin, when Robin was showing me the replay, I mean, it looked like some sort of special effects from a Steven Spielberg movie. It looked yeah. like somebody just smacked that thing right off the mantle. Like an old-style haunted movie, yes. To see it like that, and, you know, there's no explanation. We should put that footage on our... On our Facebook page, I, we, we definitely should, we should have to uh, get, get you to just send that 15 seconds, and we'll we'll put it when when we post the show because that was amazing. I can do that. That would be great. Yeah, we should definitely do that. Well, you know, look, this falls in line with what David has uh, has said, what David has told us on air and off air, where he said that there are things in this house going on that he can't necessarily explain. So if you want to call it haunted, if you want to call it paranormal, whatever label you want to give it, I mean, we've been here for a few hours now and we've experienced some of this. So this is not David making it up. This is not David saying this. This is us three people here experiencing different things. Firsthand. Firsthand. And we're all hearing it. Yep. So unless we're suffering from the same thing. We know David's kind of crazy. But he is definitely tethered to reality on this one. Yes. Yes. He he is absolutely tethered. And like I said, he has cameras everywhere at every angle. So if there's any nonsense, he's going to pick it up. He's going to see it. Well, that's just great. When I go up there, there's no christening that house. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) christening my house? What, are you kidding me? I'll bring you a break. There's there's a power on this earth that could bless that water and make it purified and holier than thou. Good idea. Oh, yeah. This guy guy became a priest after he molested a few kids. Now he's a priest full-fledged. Oh, that's good. What about for the rest of the religions that don't follow in the Catholic process? Oh, they don't count. It's like, oh, okay. Got news for you. I can't believe that heaven's just full of a bunch of Catholics up there. Last I checked. You know, that's actually an interesting uh, uh, diet. Well, no, uh, not diatribe. Like, uh, it no is point. a diatribe. You're wrong. It is a diatribe. Diatribe. Yeah, no, because every time, okay, usually, I mean, if, of all, in the pandium and the pan- pantheon, pantheon. the pantheon of Christianity, for some reason, Catholicism is the only pe- the only branch that actually has any kind of you know rituals to deal about exercising spirits and whatnot. So, I mean, isn't that kind of a contrived convenience? I mean, you always see, like, the Pentecostals on the, you know, doing the, you know, what do they call them? Revivals, right? The tent ones? And they go, you are healed and everything like that. So, but, you know, and then, of course, you, you go to, like, uh, you know, First or Southern Baptist. You know, they got the Holy Spirit dancing and everything. But you never see that with Catholics. You're saying, that you're saying the Catholic Church is the only one that will exercise um, evil spirit? I mean, that would make, could you imagine that would make a hell of a movie? Well, they did. It was called The Right with, uh, what's his name, Anthony Hopkins. He's playing with you. It's called The Exorcist, 1973. Oh, I, I know that. Okay, okay. Yeah, but remember. <laughs> I'm totally <laughs> messing with you. I understand that, but I come from uh, the scientific approach, i.e. <laughs> Ghostbusters. So, uh, There's Ghost no pro- scientific approach here. This is one thing. I mean, spinning yeah. it back, to, on. Spinning it back to, to the house. No, there's no scientific thing. <laughs> I'm sitting here. I'm not. sitting here next to David. Yes. David's hands are on the table. David is talking. And There's I'm no sitting at the head of the table, back to the window, 
I'm feeling something thinking was thinking it was the dog or the cat. It isn't. You can see me on camera where I clearly turn Look, and I'm touching. If you want, my back. we can look, we can, you know, that camera right there captures this footage. So I'm sure we could yeah. find that. Well, I you mean, said yourself it was, it was in infrared, right? And we did get some kind of, no, this is color. These right now are working in color because the light's on. David but, has cameras everywhere. But following that point though, yeah. so you don't buy the scientific or the, you know, parapsychological, uh, you know, end to it, but. I think David and I, we kind of go in that direction. Don't we agree? Oh, because you and David are scientists. We're not scientists. <laughs> oh, okay. But we're trying, but there has but to I be don't, something. But I don't, I don't believe this. <laughs> okay, but first of all, okay, so look. What is your point? My point now is, there is, there are, okay, wait, look. <laughs> Science and religion are often trying to, or uh, it's the, it's the ultimate, you know, uh, race. Because they're trying to find the same question. It's just the method is different. Neither one really knows anything. I don't believe in, in that science can define this, and I don't think religion can define this. However, what Corey was feeling, the sensation of somebody pushing up against him, that's something that I've heard many times before. Of people saying, I felt somebody pushing or touching me or yeah. grabbing me or putting pressure on my shoulder or in my back. That's normal. That's happened a lot of times. And that just means there's, a, there's somebody that's and close to Corey. has nothing to do with Sharon Tate and the victims. It always comes down to the closest... Dis- the closest distance to a paranormal incident is somebody that you knew or had a connection to who is no longer alive. That's as simple as it works. Maybe it's your mother. If it's some, if it's somebody Wait that a you second. Know, Wait a second. Yeah. You're saying it's not Sharon Tate. Yeah. But why someone who's no longer alive. What? Here's With my that point. qualification, it could be Sharon Tate. No, here's my point. This is the real connection. you got to start dealing in some type of a rational application to the paranormal, which people don't do. See, the thing about the theoretical crap of the paranormal is they don't take it beyond the first step of their journey, meaning everybody's got a theory by the paranormal and this and that. And I say, all right, let me take your theory and let me apply it further, a few steps down the road beyond what you're applying it to. And every time you do that, everything falls apart. And that's why theories are not necessarily... How she, they're not they're not tested they're not thought out they're not as you say worked out like mm-hmm. in science when you do a math equation and you come up with a theorem mm-hmm. you got to go push that theorem every different direction to test it against everything else people come up with these cockamamie theories about the paranormal and i say yeah but if you go further down the road beyond where you're just limiting yourself to the application thereof you find that your theory has no gosh darn basis and doesn't work. And what I'm saying is, is when something happens and you say, oh my God, it's Sharon Tate. It's like, my question is, is why is it Sharon Tate? What connection, what possible motivation does Sharon Tate have to manifesting and doing something to connect with you? You don't have a connection. Oh, but I'm Sharon Tate's biggest fan. It's like, yeah, that makes so much sense to me as a dead person. I'm rushing to that millionth fan that's calling my name out. No, it doesn't work like that. It's the shortest distances between you and somebody you loved that died is coming back to make connection with you because you're somebody that is connected to them and they're connected to you. See, as a layman, that makes a lot of sense to me. And that's why I didn't apply it. I just said, I don't know. I felt something. Right. And clearly, you you can see me on camera. I react. But I didn't want to interrupt David. I was Gosh. like, well, what is that? Like, I wish you would have. 
I, I just know. I mean, you were very interesting and you were on a roll. Yeah. And I wanted you to keep going. Doesn't matter. If that's happening and you're having an experience, you got to draw to go to the source and say, hey, David, something's happening right now. What are you picking up? And it's like, wait a second. I'm hearing this voice saying it's this person. And I said, I heard this name. I heard this connection. And they go, oh my God, that's funny. You don't even know me. And it's like, no, I don't. But that's what I just picked up. And usually when I pick up something, it's really strong and clear and right to the point. And I've done this many times before here where I've had people come to visit to watch my movie. And one particular incident, this producer came over and I set him up downstairs in the theater room as Corey was with uh, Robin and Paco. And um, he said after 15 minutes, I came upstairs to take care of getting some drinks for us. And he comes up the staircase and he says, I, he said, not a word. He walks out the door and gets in his car. And I go outside. And I said, what's the matter? He rolls his window down. He goes, I had the craziest God experience in that theater room watching your movie. I said, what happened? He goes, I, 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 I felt fingers running through my hair and then up and down my back. And I was alone. And I didn't. And I said, oh, my God. I said, and I said, are you OK? He goes, yeah, I'm just very, very. Um, I, 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 I said, wait a second. I heard this voice say, it's his two friends. And I just said, wait, you had two friends that died in the past five years. I said, one was in a mountain climbing accident. The other guy was in a car accident. I didn't know this gentleman from Adam. First time he ever came here. And he looked at me and he went stark white and his jaw went slack and said, how do you know that? I said, because I just heard the voice somebody say, these were your two friends that were letting you know that they were here around you. And he just said, oh, my God. He goes, I said, yeah, your one friend with a, with a mountain axe was mountain. He was uh, mountain climbing. He his his Larry is um, secure point got disengaged and he basically fell to his death like 100 feet. And he goes, yeah, he goes, yeah, that was the one that was putting his hands to his to your hair. Mm-hmm. He goes, oh, my God. He goes, the other one was your friend in the car accident two years ago, apparently. And he was running his, his fingers up and down your spine through your leather jacket. And he just. He said, how do you know? I said, because that's who the hell it was. And he goes, they're just letting you know that they're okay and they wanted to reach out to you and let you and just communicate with you. And it's nothing sinister, nothing harmful, nothing endangering to your life. Too many people turn it and twist it in that direction. Like, oh my God, it's spirits. Spirits aren't bad because it's it's from the other side or whatever you want to word it. It doesn't mean that they're evil. It doesn't mean that they're bad or malevolent. We feel it, or I say we, I feel it in my house a lot. Mm-hmm. I feel it when I'm in the bed alone at night. I feel like somebody is sitting on my bed. And I look, sometimes I'll wake up and I'll look to see if Corey has come down. Nope, it's nobody. It's just me. I'm not scared at all because I don't feel that they're malevolent presences. I feel that they're benevolent. And you know what? And to piggyback off of that, I am confident that one night we were talking in the kitchen and we were talking about your mother. Yes. And we heard, we both heard what we heard and then we just sort of felt Yes, I was at the sink and Corey was at the um, oven, at the stove, and they're like right across from each other. And we were just talking back and forth. And all of a sudden, over on the clear other side where the table is, we heard this noise. And and I was like, what was that? And he was like, I don't know, what was that? And we were like, that was my mother. I'm sure it was my mother. Hey guys, this is uh, Paco Silva here, the audio engineer for JV to the Pros. Um, due to the fact that the best of is a longer sequence than I anticipated, 
I'm actually going to split this into two parts. So you're hearing the tail end of part one, and part two will be coming soon in the following week, or however we determine when to post it. So stay tuned, folks. <laughs> <laughs>